Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by The Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. As we all know, the world of work is changing. Disruptive technologies are accelerating change at an unprecedented speed, rendering many traditional ways of doing work obsolete. With basically all workforces now working in a distributed, hybrid, and remote fashion, collaborative work management is enabling the future of work. In this conversation, Amin Panjwani, Managing Director of Execute Strategy and Achieving Solutions, educates me and you on the growing field of collaborative work management. We talk about solutions like Monday.com, Smartsheet, and Reich and how they will enable us all to have more time to engage our uniquely human talents to make better, more creative decisions. Enjoy the conversation. Amin, how are you today? I'm good. And you, Shaquille? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. And I'm glad we finally got a chance to have this conversation. Do you think if we weren't in pandemic that you would have thought to reach out? Was it something about the last year that kind of caused you to reach out to me? Have you reached out to others? Yeah, you know, so I think pandemic has done a couple of things, right? Of course, it has taken, you know, those traditional geographical boundaries yeah. away from people. Yeah. And people have started to reach out either just to get to know more people, but also from the human sake to see how people are doing and just generally reaching out for those, to those who may not have reached out in a while or to those who may, you may not have connected. Yeah, You know, due to, of course, the situation, plus also people just having more time saved from other things that they're not doing anymore, like commute and such. So I think personally, I am a true believer in, you know, connecting and networking and just getting to know new people uh, for selfishly, of course, but also to reach out and see if there's something I can do for others. I think during COVID, given the change in our business and the impact that our business have had, I've been exploring to say, well, who are others who have pivoted or changed careers or gotten into businesses and learn from them and have a conversation with them. I'm always seeking out those other entrepreneurs or others and learning from their experiences or seeing what they're going through. Primarily, that's where we gravitated me towards you. When I saw that change in your career and the, you know, going into a similar line of work that we are in, you know, where I just reached out in that sense. Yeah. It happens all the time, right? Where you look at LinkedIn and you see what people are posting and you have these mental notes and you see changes and shifts or something makes you curious to learn more. And, you know, most of the time we probably don't do anything with that. We just make a mental note and we don't do anything with it. But I think that I've seen a lot more people and I hope it continues post pandemic where people actually see something, they read a post they like, they go beyond just liking and commenting, but they actually then reach out. When you remain open like that, 
who knows what's going to uncover and what's going to happen from that. So I'm glad you took that step and I'm glad that we've had an opportunity to get to know each other uh, and get to know each other a little bit more now in this conversation. So, Mm -hmm. so thanks for joining us. Let me ask you a little bit, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. We'll dive into it a little bit later, but just to set some context for the conversation. I know for sure. You know, so we as a business have been impacted by COVID. So about 40% impact top line revenue in the business and services that we were in. And our team has been very resilient and we've embraced COVID as a time to change and a time to renew. And we've actually springboarded into a new business, which is categorized and called as work automation solutions. And very much in line to what's happening in the world today in the World Economic Forum came out with the future of jobs report. Um, Last year, and it talked about 84% of employers will be digitizing their processes Mm -hmm. um, and their systems. And, you know, COVID has really accelerated a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. So our previous business called Execute Strategy, which was primarily a consulting services organization, and it continues to operate, but now with much narrow scope, given the impact that we have, uh, we've seen. Yeah. Our new business that we have started uh, late in 2020, well, it's all, it was already always there, but we actually exponentially increased focus and have yeah. started to rebranding now under a new uh, company or new brand called Achievan. And it's derived from the word achievements, which means to have achieved something. And Achievan Solutions as a company is focused on empowering our clients to achieve more by implementing technology solutions that enable teams and leaders to automate repetitive and menial tasks Okay. so that they can then elevate their roles by focusing on tasks that require more human skills like critical thinking. Okay. Very good. Well, that's a great setting of context. Let's, we'll come back to it a little bit more because I'd love to dive in a little bit and, you know, use the term work automation solutions. You know, we see these kinds of words all the time and sometimes they lose their meanings, right? Lots of shun words lose their meanings over time. <laughs> yeah. But what we'll do is we'll come back at the end and just, or not at the end, later on, and just get you to give some specific examples. So I'm giving you some warning. You can think about specific <laughs> examples. I'm sure you're ready. Uh, and we'll talk about those a little later. So you basically, you have founded and you run this consulting firm. you recently pivoted the firm to focus, to be more relevant on some of the challenges today. How would you describe yourself professionally? What's your profession? Maybe what's your education? What do you do? What's your expertise? So my background is in engineering. I have an engineering degree. And the reason I actually took that career path is that when I was exploring, you know, in terms of, you know, what the future lies for me, I've always been technical in nature. I, but at the same time, I have this ability to take technical problems and understanding the business nature of that problem and essentially be that bridge between technology and business. Okay. Um, Using my communication skills, using my experience within business, uh, I can connect those two. Hmm. Secondly, I've been very entrepreneurial and Hmm. it comes from family background. Mm -hmm. Family's always been in business and I've had some great mentors within the family and outside who've pushed me in that direction more and you know, hustling is something that I've learned, okay. you know, uh, through the through family business and through doing various things. And so taking the entrepreneurial spirit and the technology background, when I got my engineering degree, I think the focus was really, you know, honing on those technical expertise, but then, you know, overlaying on top of that, the business acumen so that you can use technology to solve those business ah, problems. Okay, interesting. So you're an engineer, you're uh, a business person, 
you're an execution specialist, you're a communicator, and you're, for those fans that are Star Trek people, you are the universal translator for technical engineering into business speak. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah. Very good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So I'm going to pivot for a second because we like to do this here is dive into your personal history a little bit. Where were you born? Yeah. So I was born in Karachi. Karachi, uh, Pakistan. Okay. Yeah. And family has actually been in Dubai with some business opportunities there. Yeah. Uh, spent some summers in Dubai, you know, and had a chance to explore, you know, India as well. So primarily the subcontinent. Yeah. Essentially, that's the background, you know, from essentially being from the you know Indo subcontinent, if you will. Okay. And how old were you when you came to Canada? You're living in uh, Toronto now? Yeah. Living in Toronto, always been in Toronto. And, uh, you know, it's, I was in my teen years that I came here and, you know, moved here uh, with my family. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, always been there, been in Toronto since. So tell me what it was like. What's your kind of earliest memory of that transition period when you came from Karachi to move to Canada? What was the, in the teen years, tell me a little bit about a memory that stands out for you. Making new friends, parting away with old ones. Uh, and during those times, you know, the com communication wasn't as easy as it is now mm. where you can just get on a WhatsApp or email mm -hmm. or something, right? So that as you move, you know, from one part of the country or the world to another part of the world, communication was complex, you know, and being able to stay connected with those friends was hard. So being able to let those relationships go and, you know, luckily I've you know, reconnected with quite a few of them now, you know, but being able to let those go and then form some new ones and being able to be versatile and be able to settle uh, in new environments, yeah. if you will, new homes, new apartments, new work, you know, for the family, new business for the family, if you will. It's, I think that has been, you know, imprinted in my mind in terms of, you know, learning from those change yeah. and being, just coming through show resilience in terms of saying, you know what, it's there, you know, change is there. It's just how you react to those okay. change. So and, the idea of, of experiencing a transition from a very different country to Canada, you think has embedded this feeling of flexibility, agility, resilience in the way you do things going forward. It's made you a stronger person. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember the first friend you made in Canada? I do. I do. Tell uh, us that story. Tell us the circumstances that led to your first friend in Canada. First went to, you know, for prayers and for the, to meet up with the community in the Jamaat Khan. So I, you know, had a chance to kind of, new guy, a uh, new kid and uh, start to connect with uh, individuals. And I was like, this is a new space, but there was a sense of uh, belonging because you feel like, okay, I've moved from one country to the other. The yeah. prayers are the same. The people that I see around me look fairly familiar yeah. Uh, in terms of how they look. But in Canada, of course, it's a much more diverse community from lots of different parts of the world. The, our community is here from, but it gave you that sense of comfort. Yeah. Belonging. That, right? belonging and comfort. Yeah. And then to be able to just reach out to individuals and say, Hey, look, you know, I am new here. You know, what do you do? The thing and that kind of a connection, being able to have time, social time after prayers, we yeah. will do that. So yeah, I was able to, you know, not just one, but, you know, start with connecting with a group of people. Yeah, uh, group of kids at that time and start to form those new bonds and those new, new relationships 
Yeah. Uh, th that to this date, you know, we're still connected and still, you know, while we are, you know, I'm now northern part of Toronto, they are dispersed across different parts of Ontario and even Canada. We're still connected, you know, that that bond that we've had since we first met. Okay, good. So thank you for sharing that. I was hoping you'd drop a little bit of gossip about a friend that maybe I know today, <laughs> but you didn't bite. That's okay. You're very safe. I wanted to let's so let's from there just you studied engineering. What was your first job or first set of jobs coming out of university? Yeah, so when I graduated, 9-11 had just happened. Oh, okay. And I had done some internship work and the work was primarily around technology support mm -hmm. for McDonald's restaurants. Okay. And that was for supporting the U.S. restaurants, their point of sale system, essentially. Okay. So naturally, when I graduated, there was lack of jobs and the first thing I was saying, okay, what am I going to do? What do I know? And I said, well, from a technology perspective, I know this. So I reached out to similar organizations that were supporting McDonald's uh, in Canada and was able to secure, they weren't hiring, mm -hmm. but through a recruiter, they actually got me an introduction to this company and they looked at my profile, met with me and they said, you know what, you've got some background experience. We're actually going to create a role for you. Oh, based on your experience. And I was just lucky enough to be able to get that opportunity. And yeah, so moved up through the ranks within a few months with my experience and background and the work ethic and, you know, great colleagues that I had with me there. And then just moved on to two different roles and then, you know, changed, changed roles. And what happened is they, the company lost the McDonald's contract. Okay. I had formed some good relationships at McDonald's at the head office at that yeah. time. And, you know, I started reaching out to them and they started to reach out. Yeah. And I was actually lucky enough to be able to get hired by McDonald's itself. Ah, okay. So I worked at McDonald's, the head office in Canada and progressively moved on to different roles from very technical to then project manager and then leading the uh, project management office at McDonald's. And I was there for about nine years working in different roles uh, mm -hmm. within the organization. Well, I have to pause you here because a very important question. What was your favorite menu item on the McDonald's menu back in those days? <laughs> fries. Fries, of course. French fries. Absolutely. And how much was your employee discount? Nothing. You didn't get an employee discount. No, oh nothing. My. No employee, no employee discounts. It's actually, yeah, it's actually yeah. I did have these little Big Mac cards or free coffee cards that actually shaped like a Big Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty cool. And you know, you could give them out. Uh, okay. to other friends and family for like a free Big Mac or whatever, yeah. uh, or a free coffee or something. So that was pretty neat, I think, from a marketing perspective and just to get people wow. to try the, try the product. That, yeah. that Big Mac-shaped uh, coupon card brings back so many memories. Going back to when we first came to this country in the 70s, my aunt immigrated just a little bit after us, and she was looking for work. So she went for an interview, and she was a computer programmer back in the days with the punch cards. Mm. And she was staying with our family. And I remember that she went for an interview. She came back from the interview. She didn't get the job, but they gave her this McDonald's Big Mac shaped coupon for a Big Mac. So she took myself, I was probably seven, eight years old, my older brother for an adventure. We walked to the nearest McDonald's, about a 20 minute walk. And she didn't have a job. So all she, we got was that one Big Mac with that coupon. Mm. She cut it into three and we sat there and ate that Big Mac. And if my aunt is listening to that episode, I wanted to remember that, wanted to know that that was a big memory for us. But it was the story of an immigrant, immigrant story, trying to get a job. So uh, McDonald's, you were, what was the department? What was the role? What were you doing? So I was in primarily within the IT group, you know, had the uh, 
great opportunity to lead a team to make the, all our restaurants cashless. Ah, okay. so the ability to take all the credit cards in the early days when, you know, it's the, those pin pads and things like that and yeah. implement, you know, Visa, Master, American Express and the various different card types and things like that. So truly uh, amazing organization. And, you know, I learned a lot. I had a chance to work with some amazing people, amazing mentors, amazing leaders. And I still stay connected with my team that are still there or not there or even some leaders that are that I worked with and, you know, still in touch with them. Yeah, McDonald's interesting. The the staying power and the ability to influence such a cultural icon for me growing up, for the family. When we came over, it was such a treat to go to McDonald's. It was almost like help in integrating into Canada was accepting McDonald's into your life, right? Because <laughs> that was the fast food culture. So fast forward for me now, like start walking me through the transition to starting your own business. What was the next job on your target was setting up shop in Canada. Sure. And uh, I had a you know great opportunity to work with senior leaders at Target as the head of their program office for their future state. Okay. So they already had a team working out of the US organization to get set up things set up in, in Canada. I had a chance to work on the future of what Target would look like in Canada. So we're already starting to work on those future, like the e-commerce project, the categories where they're going to lead and such. So great, absolutely amazing organization. I think in the time that I was there, I think I learned probably 10 years worth of learning and knowledge, given just amount of people that brought in so much experience from outside. Mm -hmm. And they brought the creme de la creme of everybody across Canada to work for that organization and be able to work with such you know great third party organizations as well that they had brought in to be able to do that. And the role that I was in to be able to be in the front lines of some of those projects. Amazing opportunity to work if I wasn't an entrepreneur and if somebody, you know, when things, as we know, the story of Target in Canada, when things start to close off, one of the things a lot of us and a lot of us are still connected and we always ask each other's questions, you know, if given the opportunity, would you do it again? I would say in a heartbeat. Oh, really? Huh. In, absolutely in a heartbeat. In terms of the culture, the organization, how they took care of us, how we worked together as a team to get mm. to where we got to. Absolutely amazing. Like, you know, people essentially exponentially trampolined forward their careers years ahead. Uh, with the learnings that was just gained. Give us one. I mean, that sounds like a really amazing, impactful experience for you and others. Give us something that you've taken away from that experience that's still with you today, that's relevant, that has helped you trampoline, as you said. Well, you know, so in my role, I had the opportunity to work with the big five consulting companies yeah. that targeted hired and each had a different role in a different line of business to do different things. And mm -hmm. my team essentially was like the linchpin trying to run some of these large projects and working with these large consulting organizations, we were exposed to essentially an MBA. It was literally a free MBA that, because we were learning from these consultants at various stages in terms of how to, you know, strategize, how to plan, how to structure down to, you know, doing, you know, amazing presentation decks, mm. if you will. And I've never worked in a consulting organization but working with that is where, when I, you know, pivoted out of, you know, Target, when I started Execute Strategy, the impetus really came from that work. Mm. You know, the idea of organizations having great strategies and great thinkers, but then the gap between the strategy mm. and the execution. And sure. that's the name, Execute Strategy. Ah, I totally resonates me. with me, totally resonates with me because I worked as a management consultant for a number of years for a big firm after business school. And one of the things I remember 
is when you were assigned to do a strategy project or an organizational design project, you do the project three, four, six months, and then you're done. And then you don't really know if the client executes. And in a lot of cases, they don't execute because there's this gap between knowing what to do and then doing it. Mm -hmm. What I really enjoyed when I was a management consultant is process projects, because you were basically given a team of cross-functional people and your job was actually get them from nothing, a problem, to actually moving through to executing at least a pilot solution, if yeah. not full rollout. And so that is something I really, really enjoyed myself and I recognize is valuable because you see the impact of the work. It sounds like that is the same thing that resonated with you in forming execute, making it actually happen. Exactly. Absolutely. I see uh, a poster on the back of your wall there. It says execution. So what is some of the defining principles that you had in execute strategy to help your clients make things happen? What were some of the pillars? Yeah. So our focus was primarily around the idea of, you know, the people in the process, how do we implement best practices for organizations to be self-empowered, and be successful so that they're through best practices and through their people, they're able to take these strategies and the ideas that they have as an as the organization and then you know ladder that down to the organization and be able to then execute on those, right? Convert those strategies into tangible projects mm-hmm. and then you know planning those projects execution of those projects, reporting on the statuses of those projects and project performance. And then a lot of times also learning, taking the lessons learned and rolling that back in. Mm. The people component of it in terms of change management, the discipline of execution within the uh, people, within the team and have that laser focus to be able to stay within the track of the start and end date, the financial acumen and being able to you know, track the finances and being able to deliver the projects on time and within budget. Mm-hmm. So the process and the people side of that. And then we dabbled a little bit into the tool side of it in terms of, okay, well, you know, what are some of those tools and technologies the organizations can use to then enable those processes and people? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of essentially the, the idea of, of when, when we formed the organization uh, on those principles. And I think, the other piece, which was very important is, and my wife actually is always, you know, challenged me on these things. So when I did this and took the leap of faith and got into started execute strategy, and she said, oh, why are you doing this? You can have a job, you know, you can have a great job. Why are you doing this? And I just said, well, this is what we're going to do. She said, well, but, but you do the same thing at, at a job, you know, yeah. you, you manage initiatives and you do that. Yeah. That's what you yeah. were doing. Yeah. So that kind of pushed me to think about, well, why do we really exist? Yeah. And at that time, we then came up with the idea of, okay, well, the idea of giving off our time in knowledge, giving off percent of our profits mm. to, to others. And then also third is that empowering not just ourselves to make the choices of the work we want to do, yeah. but empowering our team to make the choices, mm. you know, of, you know, what projects they want to work on, mm-hmm. what type of clients they want to work with. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we do now is that, you know, so the, you know, the core of what we are is all about you know, we've set this organization up so that we are empowering us, our teams, our clients to achieve more, to do better and be successful in what they want to do, but also help organizations that are around us within the communities that where we operate and work in by giving 5% uh, mm-hmm. of our profits 
in time, knowledge, and financial support so that we are able to support um, those causes as well. And that kind of became a core of ours. And when we, we do, do that today by you know providing a matching donation program for our team members so that they are empowered to pick the causes that they like. You know, So mm-hmm. I may pick a cause that I may want to support, but they may now want to, you know, align behind. Mm-hmm. So empowering them to make those choices. So that's our core now to be able to be aligned around, around something like that. So interesting what you've just basically, I think, described is a bit of a journey that you went on to define your kind of reason for existing, what you contribute to the world. And it started off by a question, why not just go take a job and do this for a company? And your way of processing that question would, was to say, okay, well, yeah, that's true. So if I want to make this different than just taking another job, I've got to find a way to contribute more, give back in a different way. And you define that by you know donations, contributions, giving back time. When you think about what is the impact that your function of your company makes in the world what how would you define that impact of first execute strategy and then let's we'll talk a little bit about the new achievements so what's the contribution to the world of the function of your company i look at this in two parts one is from a client perspective yeah and from our team member perspective yeah i think from a client perspective in helping them feel empowered yeah to be self-sustaining and to be able to uh, achieve more yeah. And achieve more is a key component. That's why our, the new name of our new business around achievements is we feel that everybody has, has a sense of accomplishment and achieve, achieving something. Yeah. We want to take our clients to the next level, yeah. right? How do we move them to the next level, but also help them sustain to the next level and empower to keep going. Right. So the idea of, you know, when we work with our clients, we are not necessarily giving them a recipe of you know, here's how you do it. And here's how you go to the next level and, you know, achieve that, you know, work automation or achieve that solution, if you will. But the idea of, you know, how do I empower you Mm -hmm. to learn this technology Mm -hmm. so that you are self-sustaining? The tools that we are now implementing are uh, in the category of something called no-code platform. So they, which empower organizations, individuals, and teams to go and say, if I want to do a quick chart or report, I don't have to go talk to uh, IT or a developer to do that. I'm empowered to take some information that I have readily available to mm-hmm. be able to then visualize it, if you will. Yeah. So that kind of is from a client perspective to be able to empower, to help them sustain, and then to be able to continue to move forward. That's cool. And that's our mantra with all our projects that we do with our clients. Yeah. From a team member perspective then, which is a second component, is having the team members feel empowered in a sense of accomplishment. You know, So work on exciting projects work on exciting solutions so that we're not essentially, you know, you know, working on projects that are, you know, months long and they're just the same thing over and over again. Our projects are, you know, about eight, 10 week duration maximum. Some are even shorter. And yeah. it just keeps the excitement going for the team members to say, okay, I'm a new client, new industry, new yeah. solution, something different. And being able to make a choice, you know, with our team members, we actually approach them and say, hey, I've got this project. Is this something that you'll be interested in? Hmm. Right. So giving them that choice, which a lot of organizations don't necessarily do. Right. And to be able to say, OK, this is an exciting project to work on and then have the flexibility for them to try different things themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've given we've created this environment for team members to say, you know what, if you feel empowered to do this, 
give it a shot. I've got your back. We, you know, we've got your back. What's the worst that can happen? You're going to fail. Yeah. We're going to try again. So having that test mentality, if you will, within the team and having the, giving them that, you know, empowerment to be able to try that uh, and try different things. I think that's the other component that, uh, you know, we, uh, that's what we're focused on. So, you know, it's really interesting because uh, when I think back to your experience working with the consulting firms, you took that opportunity and I'm pretty sure I'm not, I can't be 400% sure, but that those consultants, the big firm consultants weren't really thinking about, we want to go and do this work to make sure that I'm in learn something Mm -hmm. and can learn then how to be Mm self-sustaining and do that. That probably wasn't their mission, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? But what you're saying is you learned from them, you picked up the idea of teaching clients and all of that based on the learning you were taking. And then you've spun around and you've started a business where you're also a consultant, but your focus actually is, of course, you want to get paid. And this is about making a living as well, but you've taken that whole approach and your focus is on teaching. Your Mm -hmm. focus is on helping your clients actually be able to continue to do what they do without you there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's empowering, that's uplifting, and that's pretty cool. And doing the same thing with your team, your people, giving them an opportunity to have purpose mm-hmm. and give back to others and have variety. And very cool. So now you're now talking a lot about, and you mentioned it in this last little bit around work management and automation of work. Describe to us using your superpower universal translator skills. Mm-hmm. In English, like I'm a three or four-year-old, what do you mean when you talk about work management solutions? Yeah, so, you know, we started to define work as an umbrella mm-hmm. for everything that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, you sign in, you start your work. You know, there has to be a, some kind of a method to this madness, mm-hmm. right? Some kind of a structure mm-hmm. of how we work. Mm-hmm. So work, uh, to me, is defined as has two essentially subcomponents. Mm-hmm. One is finite work and one is infinite work. Okay. Finite work is another term could that for that could be projects. Okay. Things that have start and end. Okay. Right? It is a, for a particular purpose and you're delivering something at the end of it. Yeah. Right? So that is finite work. We all have projects, maybe small, medium or large, just depending on our nature of our work. The second category is infinite work. Hmm. That's something that we do day in, day out. That's mm-hmm. operations work, mm-hmm. right? Following up on tasks, you're checking on email, you know, the filing paperwork, hmm. right? That is all infinite work, operational work that we do. In, 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 in and it never ends. It never, never ends. ends. <laughs> Always ongoing, right? Yeah. Uh, and I've got a stack of filing back here that, you know, they say paperless society, but I've still got paper that I've got to put away and I'm hoping exactly. that it'll become irrelevant at some point. I'll just shred it. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, so, keep going. So it, from operational perspective, depending on your role and you may have a larger portion of your work in, in finite work and maybe a smaller portion of your project uh, or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. But these two worlds do intertwine for each one of us, regardless of what role you're in. Right. So for example, if you're managing a large construction implementation, your larger portion of your work would be project-based because right. you're building something and it's going to be right. delivering at the end of it. Right. And then a smaller portion could be operations where you have to still do that, those, you know, you know, having statuses with your team members. And if you have direct reports and, you know, doing the development and growth of your team members and so on and so forth, right. as an example. Right. 
if you are, let's say, in an HR world, a large portion of your work could be operational, which is ongoing, yes. right, which would require HR yes. type work. Yes. But a smaller portion may be project related. Where, right. For example, there's no new minimum wage implementation. You need to put that in. Uh, yeah. There is a new guidance uh, from your municipality or your province or your state right. or whatever that right. needs to be implemented. That could be a project, if you will. So it just yeah. depends on your role. So, sure. so we feel that there's intertwining. And the idea of work management is managing this, this mayhem that we're in, yeah. you know, if you will, for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. Yeah. And making sense of it so that thinking about you know, having those tools that allow me to structure my work, be it project or be operations, yeah. and having that structure in place and having the tools use some of the core competency that the tools provide and automating some of those tasks that yeah. I may have to do manually by now having the systems and tools automate those tasks yeah. so that I can then focus on more human skills so rather than spending my t- time following up with people. Yeah. As an example, the yeah. tool can actually automate that by sending out notifications through you know, email or through Microsoft Teams or Slack or any other means. Ah. And then I can actually receive those updates and then answer the question of the so what and what now. What do I do with this information? Ah, so you know? so if I can just kind of what that made me think of is you know when I was in an organization or even now for example when I give people on my team basically a deadline you know by such and such a date can you please send me your objectives for the next three months and so that's out there now I want to go on and do my own work and before I know it it's four weeks and oh my gosh I didn't get emails from half of the people with their objectives. And I've got to go through the task and go through. And I used to always get frustrated when I had staff members tell me, people that reported to me tell me that, you know, one of the things I wish you would do is just remind me when I have stuff due. And I'm like, that's not my job <laughs> to remind you when to have stuff due. But then if I don't do it, then it doesn't come in. Exactly. Now, not everybody's like that. A lot of people can manage their own. So now... What's the relationship between the problem I'm describing and what you're describing right now? So the, what these tools do is they actually have the ability to, for you to set and forget these things. So you set the tasks under somebody's name yeah, and you use automations for reminders for them. So then you're not chasing after them. Got it. Right. Got it. So then the tools are saying, you know, on a whatever frequency basis saying, Hey, you know, person X, Shaquille has asked you to do this and it looks like it's not done yet. Right. Okay. Right. This is due. Right. Kind of a thing. So, so it automates that. The other thing that these tools provide is the ability to collaborate, Mm. right? So that, you know, if you've assigned a task to someone, they want to ask you a question about Mm. that particular task. Mm -hmm. In a traditional world, somebody would send you an email. Mm. In the COVID world now, somebody would message you on Teams or Slack. Right. Right. But that conversation is not contextual. Mm. They have to say, oh, you assigned me this task. These are the details. They have to type all the details about the task because you may have Further to that request I made to you two weeks ago, that kind of thing. Exactly. So Teams and Slack will make speed it up because now you're having a chat session. Email slows it down because you are doing email back and forth, but they're not contextual. In these tools, all they have to do is click on the task itself. Right. And then put a message and do like an at mention. So Ah. at percent, your name. And then you get a notification and all, all that to say, Shaquille, I need to know more about this. Right. Right. In the traditional world, this would have to be explained. Right. But the tools would make it contextual. So when you get the message, the tool actually puts everything ah. else into play in the yes. message that comes to you and say, okay, so this person X is asking me about 
this task and they want to know more about this task yes. and the task is populated automatically. Oh, uh, so, so I, all you're so doing. the way I imagine this is let's say it's one of those deadline driven things and it hasn't come through. Like if I was to just put a question mark, attach it to a task, immediately the person sees it saying, oh yeah, crap, I haven't done that. Exactly. <laughs> I don't have to exactly. say anything else except put a question mark in attached to the task. Yeah. But you're saying I don't have to send that in the first place because the system will send that. System will do that, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. you, you know, that you can have a conversation around it, so you can do full back and forth conversation within yeah. the tool, which is contextual, and it's stored historically. Yeah. So if you have to come back to this a week later or two weeks later, or if you're having a one-on-one, -on -one, then you can say, oh, let's open up that task list, and you yeah. can see what has happened. Yeah. Right. And because we have so many things going on, personal lives and work and stuff, and things get so complex, and say, what was that? What did I say about that on that day? It's all right there, right? right? So cool. these set of tools are work management tools. This is a huge category. So, you know, the tools that we implement, we are actually platinum partners and premium partners for these tools. And these are Smartsheet, okay. uh, right? So you look it up, smartsheet.com. The next one is Monday, yeah. monday.com. Uh, a lot of people would have heard about these. Another one is Rike, you know, W-R-I-K-E. So yeah. These are some of the three, the three major tools that we, we implement, but there are others in the category as well. Uh, but cool. these are leaders within this category where, you know, organizations are gravitating towards them because they're easy to implement, yeah, easy to adopt. There's a high usage of the tools yeah. within the organization because the way they're structured and set up, yeah. you know, they are, you know, the basis of it is a, like a spreadsheet look and feel or like a table type of a look and feel. So if you can use tables or if you can lose, use spreadsheets, you can use these tools, huh. right? But they're in the cloud. Right. And they have all of these automations that are pre-built and they are no code. So you can literally click two buttons and say, set reminder for this person recurring this and you're mm. done. Wow. Right. Uh, and then you can do, you know, graphs and visualizations and dashboards reports for your leaders without actually doing any code or development. So when I think of, you know, there's obviously even before the pandemic, there was lots of companies, particularly new technology companies, knowledge companies that are already working remotely, virtually with people all over the place and all over the world. And now we're seeing more companies do that. And so do you see these tools as being some of the enablers to help people that are working virtually all over the world on the same teams as a way of integrating and, and streamlining the way, you know, dispersed remote teams work together? Yeah. So World Economic Forum, and, you know, if, if you guys have not searched World Economic Forum, you know, whomever is listening has so much depth of information about the future of work, which is really now. Yeah. They had this online Davos forum last yeah. year, early this year as well. They actually came out with the study on five themes that would be, that would set the future of work. And out of those five themes, there were two that were, you know, maybe very contextual at this conversation. Uh, one is work from anywhere. Yeah right? Not remote work is work from anywhere. Yeah. And second is work smarter, mm. right? So the idea of these tools, because they are on the cloud and they essentially increase collaboration, yeah. they allow you to you know, work smarter because you are able to use the information within the tools to then you know, generate information that you need to be able to do your work better, mm -hmm. right? And it essentially is bringing teams that are now dispersed globally or even in the same city with not being in the same office anymore. Mm -hmm. And that will be the new normal, I guess, if you want to use that term for the hybrid working styles. This allows people to essentially stay connected because people can say, well, I have teams. 
or yeah. I have Slack to do that. Well, yeah. the, the example I shared earlier, the challenge is that the, you know the, the they only do a part, only solve a part of the problem, hmm. right? Email solves part of the problem, right? So what these tools are doing is that they're actually sit squarely in the entire ecosystem where on one side you have these communication tools like Zoom or Slack or Teams or whatever. On the other side, you have your big ERP systems, which has your large databases of SAP for financials and other mm-hmm. things, which requires extensive development and software support, if you will. And you know, if you want to make a small change, you got to pay thousands of dollars to be able right. to do that. Right. These square, these systems sit right squarely in the middle and essentially uh, uh, is, are the bridge between these large enterprise systems yeah. and these basic communication systems. Because huh. we've got clients actually bringing in all the conversations into these tools and making it contextual, like the example I gave. And then we have clients who are actually bringing in data from these large enterprise tools like SAP into these uh, work management tools so that they can actually use the data coming from large enterprise tools to be able to you know, do a visualization, to do a nice little dashboard or apply some work you know, logic or rules around, okay, well, you know, if my financials from SAP, the plan number is this and actuals is this and the delta is more than let's say X dollars, notify someone ah, or turn it to red so that right. I can see it in my report. Right. You know, to be able to do something like that in the large ERP system it would take months to build something like this and be able to get access to it, right? So yeah. these tools essentially are essentially you know, bridging that divide, if you will. Let me connect the dots for my listeners a little bit because one of the things we talk about is how do we navigate the uncertainty, the complexity, all the ambiguity that we're facing. Now we have uncertain futures. We don't know what the implications are going to be for any decision that we really make. You know, it's not about detailed planning of activity steps. It's about scenario planning. And then we have people working remotely. We have people working at different times of the day. So all very complex. So what you're describing, these work management solutions are exist to help at least take away the complexities for those things that can be dealt with and leave your mental space for dealing with the complexity that requires judgment. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think you're, I think you're describing here is because there is so much complexity and uncertainty, dividing up the complexity and uncertainty on things that you can fix and control with tools like what you're describing leaving the things that are complex that need to be solved with human judgment Mm -hmm. and freeing up your mental capacity, your energy, not just your mental capacity, Mm -hmm. your emotional and physical and intellectual energy to focus on those things that require judgment. Am I getting it right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to be able to over amplify those human skills. Yes. Because we have basically becoming these followers of our checklist and our task masters. Yes. What is happening is that we're going from task to task and we're not actually using our human skills like critical thinking, like judgment, analytical skills to be able to say, well, you know, this is a task, but you know, so what and what now and why does it matter? And, you know, because we are so focused on getting the task done, you pull that out and you assign that to these tools. And then what is left, as you said, are truly the ability to have the ability to amplify those skills for yourself. Somebody actually mentioned that laziness is actually a huge human trait that Mm. we use, don't use as much of. Mm. And, you know, Ah, laziness is actually a strength, right? 
strength. <laughs> it's, it is absolutely a strength because yeah. laziness is actually makes us push to say, you know what, the systems can do it better. The technology uh, can do it better. Yeah. So let the technology do those follow-ups and those mundane menial tasks while I can then be freed up and using my the capacity for my human intellect to yeah. actually then focus on those true human skills. Yeah. Right. Wow. Because, yeah. you know, as we're moving in to the post COVID world, right. The idea of what's going to happen to a bunch of these jobs that are out there and how are those individuals going to really elevate the roles? Right. So it's not only up to organizations to digitize and to find the solutions. It's also us to us as workers. Absolutely. Say, how do I actually take my role and then, you know, parcel off some of the work to technology, right? Yeah. And then truly elevate my skills. People say, well, I'm afraid because if I do that, you know, robots or technology is going to take over my job. But that's yeah. not true. Yeah. Because what that's going to do is allow you to then think about how do you then elevate your role. Absolutely. Uh, if you will. I love the sound of everything you're saying. You know, you know, I want to pick up on one thing that you've described is, you know, we've actually come from a place where, and early in my career, this was true, where as a, if you join a large company, you end up depending on relying on the company to bring you solutions, mm -hmm. bring you a piece of software, send you on training, tell you what you need to do to advance in your career. Here's the next job. Take these steps to get there. I think what we're discovering, particularly in this time is it's always been true, but it's really been made clear now that we as individuals have to find our own path mm -hmm. and own our own learning. And so what you're describing here is these kind of tools that democratize the ability to improve my work life balance, my workflow, and the promise sounds exciting. So what do you say to somebody? So I'm, you know, I'm a coach. So I interact with clients that are trying to solve different problems in their work life. And so, you know, if I talk to a client that's feeling very overwhelmed with their work, and if I were to drop a suggestion of finding ways to improve the efficiency and increase more time, and let's say I was to introduce, you know, something like a monday.com or something like this tool, I can imagine the first reaction for some of those people would be, I don't have time to learn a new tool. I'm, or did you just listen to me? I just told you I'm too busy. I'm so overwhelmed. And now you're telling me to learn a new tool. I can imagine that's the voice inside their head. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to somebody that says, I don't have time to learn how to use a new tool because I'm too overwhelmed. What's your answer to that? I know. I think this is a very common change management type of response we get from a lot of our clients. Yeah. Right. And I think the response really there is that the VC people that, that embrace it right away yeah. Um, in that category, and they understand they get it. Then we have the uh, people right in the middle where they say, huh, okay, I understand it, but you know, I'll get to it when I do give, given the time and stuff, Yeah. but not really, you know, forced in line. And the third, are you really laggards and say, nope, I'm not going to do that. Right. And, you know, so for each type of a group, there's a different type of a approach, if you will. Right. So the first that, you know, people who say, yep, going to do it great. There's, they are your champions. Right. So what we do is we actually took, take those champions and get them to start to connect with those that are in the middle tier and the third tier to show them with example to say, look, I'm in a similar role like you. And I used to do these tasks and look how quickly I can do this now. Mm -hmm. Right. And let me share with you. So usually rather than an outsider coming in and sharing this and I, you know, you and I can sit here and talk about this as the cows come home, but people who are a resistance yeah. to that, 
resistant to that. The challenge that they're always going to have is that somebody who is their peer, somebody that they can listen to showing them right. how to do it or having them try yeah. to do it themselves. So we're beneficial. And that's why these technologies. So if you go to our website, you can actually sign up for a free demo or a free trial for some of these technologies like Smartsheet and Monday.com and Rike. And that's why the techno- these technologies companies know there's a resistance to this sometimes. Yeah. And giving people that free trial for them to try it out with pre-built templates. There are thousands of templates. You think of a use case scenario, the, these tools have a template, hmm. right? You can pull down a template and start using it immediately mm-hmm. for your use case mm-hmm. with automations being in there, with some of the workflows being in there, with some mm-hmm. of the nice reporting capabilities being in there, right? Mm-hmm. So some of that stuff helps because you can, seeing is believing, yeah. so you can see it somebody else using it or try it on your own and then try to essentially embrace it. Awesome. Well, I know you like helping people improve the way they do things. So if people are looking to learn more about this conversation, I could go on for hours because I find this fascinating. But if people are looking to learn more, where should they go? I mean, best place to do is go on our website, achievan.com. So A-C-H-I-E-V-A-N, achievan.com. And from there, you have you know, options to look at various solutions that we have. You can see the technologies that we uh, implement. You can uh, sign up for a free trial, yeah. uh, if you will. And of course, there is uh, lots of different information about our company as well. Awesome. And I'll put a link to that in the episode notes, but it doesn't matter what size of company, individual worker, gig worker, Anybody can can go and check this out, right? Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. excellent. In the last uh, minute here, given the amount of change, you know, when I think of uh, what you've been describing as project management office, I think of big Gantt charts on the wall with timelines and critical paths and tasks and scheduled status meetings and all of that stuff. Very planned out. I think uh, rigid, strict discipline. That's what comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. Now we're in a world where flexibility, agility is king. We don't know what's going to happen next week. Sometimes we don't even know what the implication is going to be tomorrow. How do you advise? What's your one piece of advice to help people navigate that shift and that change from certain outcomes to like uncertain outcomes and unpredictability? I think what I would suggest is from a work perspective, yeah. Right. The world of this, you know, rigid planning where you have large projects and stuff are for those who are actually in that business of you know, managing those large initiatives. But for everybody else, yeah, there's this new world of work management. Yeah. Right. So as you are essentially thinking about your world of work, yeah, think about what are some of the best practices that you're going to put in to structure your day, to structure your work, and how do you use some of these tools to be able to be your supporters so that you are getting the tools to do that, what tools do best, and then elevating your role. The, from a personal perspective, we've got people using some of these tools for personal life management. We've got you know, parents giving these tools to kids to manage their homework uh, now cool. in the COVID world, right? So just yeah. having a track of what homework do you have, put the information, attach the files, so on and so forth, right? So thinking about the ability to using these technology and tools to adapt But at the same time, thinking about what are some of the best practices that you can put in for your own self so that you are able to be able to use the technology and tools 
and be more flexible as you move forward in the world of unknown that we are in uh, now yeah. on a constant basis. So uh, that light bulb just went off for me because one of the things I talk a lot about is always having a few learning goals you're working on. Set mm-hmm. a learning goal, define your actions to learn about that uh, new skill or competency you want to build, execute, try it, reflect, try it again, round we go. It sounds like one of your solutions might work as a tool to enable execution of learning plans. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay, you got me. That's my hook. (laughs) So I am going to be very interested. I'm going to think I'm going to try it myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pick a learning goal, something that I want to get better at doing, and I'm going to see if I can build a plan on one of your tools to see if I can make it happen. It will be a free trial. I'm going to sign up for a free trial and then let's see what happens. And I'll report back on a future episode to, to let some folks know whether it worked for me or not. And let's go from there. Thank you. I mean, thank you for your time. You've given me a, a good full hour of your time and I appreciate it. Thanks for teaching me a few things. I've enjoyed the conversation and getting to know you better. And we'll talk to you again. Thank you, thanks, Shaquille, and thank you for making me, you know, spend this time with you and for being giving me the ability to tell me tell my story. Awesome, thank you. Have a great day. I think it's fantastic that Amin took action to reach out to me based on my LinkedIn activity. That is the best way to develop relationships and grow your network. One of the insights I drew from Amin's account of coming to Canada from Pakistan was this: while he was feeling like a stranger in a strange land missing his friends, feeling like he had to make new friends. He recognized the value of having a community, a faith-based community that shared traditions and values with him. At the same time, he valued the diversity in Canada. And that is the beauty of this country. You can stay close to your community and traditions and embrace other cultures. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's both in this country. I really found it instructive how he managed transitions and disruptions in his career. First, when his company lost the McDonald's contract, he reached out to McDonald's and positioned himself for a role there. And he got a great job in technology at McDonald's and learned a lot. Then he was working at Target. And when Target folded up shop in Canada, He took everything he learned about executing strategy, everything he learned from some of the professional services firms he worked with at Target, and started his own business. Then when the pandemic hit, he pivoted his business to take advantage of the changes in the world of work and the existence of work management technology. You know, he cites his immigrant experience as building his resilience and his flexibility. I'm sure that's true, but I also think it's partly his mindset and his entrepreneurial spirit. Did you hear how quick Amin was to answer the question I asked about the impact he is making with his company? He had such clarity of purpose on what he was trying to do for his customers and his employees. I have met many senior business leaders over the years in large organizations that aren't able to answer that question so crisply, so quickly, and with such clarity. The best part of the conversation for me, and you could probably hear it in my enthusiasm, was our discussion about how work management technology can transform the way we work and enable us 
to utilize our human ingenuity. I can't wait to try some of the tools that he mentioned, monday.com and Smartsheet. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.